All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5 as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount as we are journeying through the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 5, and we are taking these Beatitudes in a verse-by-verse manner. So we are to verse number 4. Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 4. The verse says to us, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The very first reference here is this reference to mourning. Uh, That reference to mourning often in our mind already comes with a definition. We have in our mind's eye what mourning is, and we most often associate it with the word grief or grieving. And this mourning that is referenced here is in fact a type of grief. It is in fact a type of mourning uh, for something. But it is something that also precedes conversion. This initial mourning is the precedes conversion. Now, in order for an individual to be converted, uh, there must be a real sense of sin. Uh, not just a recognition or acknowledgement that sin is present, but that that sin deserves a punishment. And because it deserves a punishment, it also needs a remedy. So this grieving, this mourning, is something that comes only after the soul, the converted soul, realizes the real sense and depth of their sin and before they'll even desire the remedy. Thousands of people acknowledge their sinners. Oftentimes, we use that as our first means or our first line, our first question of evangelism. And we say something like this, do you believe you're a sinner? There are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that would freely acknowledge they are a sinner. This morning is not just acknowledging that you're a sinner. This goes much deeper than that. To be acknowledging that you are a sinner is much different than actually mourning over the fact that you are a sinner. In other words, a sin that we mourn over. Think about the prodigal son in Luke chapter number 15. Before the prodigal son left in that chapter, he said, and he had told his father that he, was, he wanted what was his. He wanted his inheritance early. And before he left, he acknowledged that he was going and he left and he spent all of his inheritance. And somewhere along that visit, one of those times when he found himself eating the same things that the pigs were eating, he suddenly comes to the realization of his sin. And he comes to the realization in such a way that he's brought to an actual brokenness where he actually says these words. I will arise and go unto my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. 
and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The prodigal son illustrates with his words a true mourning, a grief for sin. He acknowledges two important facts, that his sin is against heaven. Secondly, that his sin was done before thee or before God. And he comes to the conclusion on his own, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. My sin has, so, has been so wrong against you that I don't even deserve to be called your son any longer. So the question is tonight, where do we find that type of individual with that sense of how deep their sin actually is? Again, this mourning is much more than just acknowledging that I am a sinner. You can acknowledge you're a sinner and then take pleasure in that. You can say, yes, I'm a sinner, and I have no problems with it. Think about the Pharisee and the publican of Luke chapter 18. The Pharisee, of course, was announcing all the things that he did, how he fasted, he gave, and how he was the picture of what a religious person or what a God-fearing person should look like. And yet it's the publican who smites himself on the chest and he says, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. That hymn we just sang together on page 390 is entitled, God be merciful to me. That song reflects really, in a sense, what this morning actually looks like. One of the lines in that song I think it's verse 3, says, I am evil. It's not really a popular Christian hymn. (laughs) It's not going to get much play on a Christian radio, I can tell you. I am evil. You're getting the sense of what this morning is. This is not something that is just, yes, I'm a sinner. What was this publican doing by... He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He wouldn't even look. He said, I'm not worthy to look. And he, he, he strikes himself on the chest. And, and what was he doing? He was feeling the very plague of his own heart. He had come to an understanding of what sin really was. Remember, Jesus delivered this first section, especially with regard to the Beatitudes. He delivered it primarily to those who were afflicted and those who were broken. Those who had some sense of what he was talking about. But when we talk about this mourning, notice again he connects mourning with a blessing. We established last week and over the last couple of weeks that this word blessed, it does in fact mean happy, but it also has the idea of being divinely content. Blessed are they that mourn. That is contrary to the world. The world says a blessed person is a person who's just happy and joyful. Again, blessed are they that mourn. And there is this very real sense of what mourning is. And the Lord's words himself are blessed are they that mourn. So we're going to make three observations that I think will be very clear as to what this mourning is and what this mourning requires. The first observation is quite simply this, that this mourning for sin is a gospel responsibility. In other words, if we think we can get to Christ or we think that we've heard the gospel clearly or we have acknowledged the gospel clearly and yet there has not been a mourning for sin, I believe we deceive ourselves and we deceive ourselves in a dangerous way. 
To mourn for sin as a gospel responsibility is because we recognize that the law allows no place for repentance. The law doesn't allow us to repent. The law says, keep the law fully or you're condemned, you're guilty. So mourning for sin is a gospel responsibility because we realize that it is only by the grace of the gospel that we find a place of repentance for the wickedness of our own heart. I am evil, the hymn writer said. That hymn what we sang is based on Psalm 51, which is David's repentance. So this morning, where does it spring from? Where does it originate from? This morning originates from, first of all, that sense of sin, but it also springs from having a tender conscience. David wrote to Timothy about warning him about searing his conscience. But mourning comes from the sense of sin, it comes from a tender conscience, but it also comes from a broken heart. It is a godly sorrow, not just because I've done wrong, but it's because I've actually rebelled against God and sin demonstrates that I'm hostile towards His will. You see, sin is hostility towards God. When I sin, I'm being hostile towards God. Sometimes this mourning for sin is not only springing from a sense of our own depravity, but it's also a sense of grief over the morality of ourself that we've trusted in. In other words, if I find myself at any point in time trusting my own heart and trusting my own righteousness, I ought to be grieved over that. If I'm finding in my life at any point in time that my heart or myself is trusted in my own self-righteousness, that is a sin against God and I ought to repent of that and I ought to mourn over that. Thirdly, this mourning as a gospel responsibility is an agonizing realization. I'm using strong words intentionally. It's an agonizing realization that it was my sins. It is my sins that nailed the Lamb of glory to the cross. It's my sin that put Him there. It's easy to say it's that sinner that put Him there or that sinner that put Him there. No, it's my sin that put Him there. In Zechariah 12.10, it makes reference to Israel when Israel or some Israel will come and they will see Christ. And it says, they shall mourn for Him. There is going to be a deep sense of mourning for those of Israel who actually see Him. After so many years of refusing and not repenting, they are going to mourn for Him. You see, mourning is often evidenced in our world and in our life by tears. Uh, We often see tears associated with grief. We often hear the groans of people. Sometimes people are left speechless. But you realize that grieving for sin, the tears and the groanings are preparing our heart to actually acknowledge our sin and receive the comfort that the gospel brings. See, because we read that verse, and we're, only, we're dealing with this in two parts. 
Blessed are they that mourn. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says, for they shall be comforted. Who are the they? Those who mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Before the comfort comes, there must be mourning. There must be grief. Oftentimes, when I've had to deal with people who've lost a loved one, it's often said, I just wish I could bring them to comfort right now. And you realize that the grieving process has to go through a stage. If you jump right to the comfort stage, it's because you're trying to ignore the mourning. And oftentimes that just ends up in an absolute disaster because you've put it away. That mourning is preparing you for the comfort that is to come. Sometimes we try to comfort too quickly. Sometimes we try to comfort ourselves too quickly. Notice he speaks, they shall be comforted. So there is this connection between receiving the comfort of the gospel that comes after a period of mourning. So this mourning is the mourning that is expressed over the felt depravity. Now, this is impossible to describe to somebody who's never felt their own depravity. This gospel morning is a morning that you actually feel the depravity of your spiritual state. And it's not just, I've done wrong, but that my iniquities, if left in my iniquities, it has been the very thing that has separated me and God. I'm separated from God because of my iniquities. I'm separated from God because of my sin. This morning, I believe, goes right along with what we talked about last week about being poor in spirit. These beatitudes go together. So this morning for sin is a gospel duty. That's our first observation. Our second observation tonight is that what is the time and the reason What's the time and the reason for this mourning? Again, blessed are they that mourn. We might say blessed are they that now mourn. Sorrow for sin and repentance for sin here is grace. The fact that I can repent and the fact that I can sorrow for sin is a demonstration of God's grace. But in hell... That will be one of the great punishments. What do I mean by that? There will be no place for sorrow, for sin, and repentance that will lead to anything. It will be, in fact, eternally too late. There will not be grace in hell in the sense of what we're experiencing. Even though now we mourn. This morning is not to be confined just to our initial conversion experience. I think we get the idea that repentance was a one-time shot that I took care of. Or that, yes, a few times throughout my Christian life, I've been brought to repentance. No, this morning, yes, there's a morning that precedes our initial conversion, but this morning is to be a continuous morning that we are never losing sight 
of the reality of who we are outside of Christ. We're constantly experiencing conviction of sin. We're continuously being reminded of our conversion. Notice the tense of the word. It doesn't say, blessed are they that have mourned, but blessed are they that mourn. That, that suggests, even in the very verb, that this is a continuing experience. It's present and it's continuous. I continue to mourn. The argument from those who would discard this doctrine would say, why does a Christian have anything to mourn over? Aren't they already saved? Well, what does the Christian today have to mourn about? They have to mourn about the sin which they still commit, both of omission and commission. There are sins that we commit, and there are sins because of something we don't do. We have sins of omission and commission. The believer who's truly in Christ is daily grieved by their sin. Daily. This is contrary to the modern Christian movement that says what Jesus really wants for you is just to be happy. Jesus is the one that says, blessed are they that mourn. Those who are divinely content in God, those who are quote-unquote happy, are the ones who are mourning daily over their sin. It's contrary to the world, but God's word is what says this is what a blessed person does. What happens is this sense of daily grief that we have, these are the very things that keep our conscience tender. So that our conscience doesn't become seared, that it doesn't become something we can just we can just kind of push it off, or we become numb to things that used to bring us to conviction. Previously, what's the Christian life look like? The Christian life looks like a person who continues daily to discover the depravity of their nature, the plagues of their own heart, the sea of corruption within them, and because of all of that, it continues to remind them of just how good God's grace has been to them. You see, this is actually good to mourn over our sin. It's being conscious of times when you unbelieve. It's being conscious of times when you actually are finding yourself doubting. It's times when you find your pride welling up in you, which happens quite often, if not daily. The pride of self-sufficiency, the pride of superiority, the pride of educational attainment, spiritual pride, which is the most dangerous one, that I'm so much more spiritually advanced than you are. You see, these things happen. Before we know it, we become cold even in our love towards others. It's these types of things, these groanings, these mourning from sin that made the Apostle Paul cry out in Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am. Notice he doesn't say, O wretched man that I was. He says, O wretched man that I am. Paul was aware of his daily corruptions. 
And he grieved over the fact that every day he thought he understood his depravity, but every day it just got deeper and deeper about just how depraved he really was. You see, he wasn't getting a better feeling about himself. He was getting a better look at who God is. See, this isn't meant to lead us into a state of despair. This is to lead us into a place of rejoicing, saying, I see how wicked I am and I see how good God is because God, in his love and his grace, he saved me even knowing all this. Which is quite remarkable. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2 and verse 11, he said that statement, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past... We're humbled by our past offenses. We have to be careful that our testimonies don't become testimonies of glorying in past sin. The fact is, the closer that the true child of God gets to God, the more you're going to mourn. The closer you get to Him and His Word, the more you're going to mourn over sin against God, the more you're going to be more aware of things that you're dishonoring God with. I don't think there is a stronger way to put this than what the psalmist writes in Psalm 119.53. He said, Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. The psalmist was horrified by the thought of people forsaking his law. So there's a time, there's a reason. Blessed are they that now mourn. The reason is it brings us to this place where we're more aware of God's goodness and God's grace to us. Observation number three. Mourning comes before comfort. So comfort follows after mourning. Mourning goes before comfort. Comfort comes after mourning. Godly sorrow for our own sin and godly sorrow for the sins of others will ultimately, by God's promises, end in everlasting joy and comfort. That is a promise. Blessed are they that mourn has this immediate reference to the convicted soul sorrowing over sin. But it's important to note that Christ doesn't simply say you're blessed because you're a mourner, but because they are mourners, they are mourners that will be comforted. There's not a few people today who would simply attempt to find some sort of comfort within themselves. Sadly, even some so-called biblical counseling says today you just need to find the goodness in yourself. You can't look within yourself to find comfort and goodness. The only comfort and goodness we have is what we are in Christ Jesus. No matter how deep I try to look into my own soul, look into my own heart, I cannot find anything that will give me lasting comfort. But true comfort... And this is hard in our self-centered world. True comfort is not to be found in anything in self. 
It's only found in Christ. To have a soul that feels some level of distress is not the same as true repentance. To simply say my soul feels distressed doesn't mean that I'm actually brought to repentance. Now where the Holy Spirit of God produces this true sorrow for sin, He doesn't just bring Him to conviction and then leave us there. No, He points us to look to the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Himself said the Holy Spirit would speak of Me. And as the Spirit speaks, He's not speaking of Himself, He's speaking of Christ. That's where our comfort comes from. My comfort comes in knowing that the Lamb of God has dealt with my sin. It's interesting today as people continue to try to change the Gospel into something that will be more palatable and more receptive and more accepting to mankind, we must realize the Gospel promises no mercy except to those who repent of sin and look to Christ. The Gospel is not a general statement that all will be comforted. Only those who mourn or repent of their sin and look to Christ will find comfort. They shall be comforted, Jesus said. This is a gracious promise that is fulfilled. How is it fulfilled? First of all, we receive after immediately after our conversion, we receive that consolation of God. There is a level and the removal of the crushing guilt that was upon our shoulders. True repentance brings us to a place where our sin, the weight of it, is actually crushing us. It's a far cry from just simply saying, do you believe you're a sinner? That's why I don't believe you can talk anybody into feeling that weight. I don't believe you can convince somebody of their depravity. I don't think it's possible for you to, to reason them into their depravity. Now, God can do it. The Holy Spirit will actually do it. But you can't do that. I can get people to accept that they're a sinner. I can get people to admit, yeah, I'm a sinner. And then we check that off and we move on to the next box and we say, okay, they admitted they're a sinner. Now, do you believe? Can I really believe in Christ if I really don't understand the crushing weight of my own sin? Can I really believe in Christ if I don't understand the crushing weight of my sin? The thing is, I can't look across the table at anybody and know if they actually realize the level of their own depravity. I can scream at the top of my lungs, you're a sinner. That doesn't make you acknowledge your own depravity. We find that after conversion, we get this divine consolation or this divine comfort of God. We, we know that there's been a removal of the guilt Folks, you realize that when we're truly aware of our sin, there's a level of guilt that puts an intolerable burden on your conscience. 
When you truly have felt the weight of your sin, your conscience has an almost intolerable burden placed upon it. There's, there's no way you begin to feel, I can't carry this burden. I can't hold this anymore. So where's this divine consolation find its accomplishment? It finds its accomplishment in how the Holy Spirit applies the gospel of God's grace to the person he's convicted of sin and his need of a Savior. See, the gospel, folks, brings comfort like nothing else. The gospel brings the most comfort to that person who's mourning over their sin and their guilt before God. The gospel was never meant to be hand out as many get out of hell cards as you can hand out. That's not what the intent was. Remember, salvation is actually first and foremost not for you. It's for the glory of God. The main reason you're saved is not for you. It's for God's glory. Which really pulls, takes real pride out of, pride out of the room, doesn't it? When God realizes He's not doing this for you first and foremost, He's doing it for His own glory. And yet, the Holy Spirit still applies this comfort to the convicted soul so that when Christ speaks the words like He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was not just talking, he's, He was not giving that as a general call to the whole world. He was giving that as a call to those who have felt that weight and know the need of a Savior. Come unto me, all of you that are crushed by the weight of your sin. And he says, I will give you rest. You know, in this day and age of let's try to Christianize an environment, this is one of those verses that shows up on people's workplaces used out of context because the word labor is there. So we post it on a wall when they say, look, when your job here gets too heavy, just go to Jesus. That's not what the context was. It's just like Paul when he talks about, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Context matters. But Jesus' language in Matthew eleven twenty eight clearly shows that the feeling of sin is a burden to your soul. <laughs> you can imagine that as a pastor, that's one of the things I hear often is, I'm really burdened by something. I understand it. We're all burdened by something. But do you realize that the greatest burden we ought to feel is the feeling of sin? That burden finds a need for relief. It finds it needs some it needs help. It needs someone to take that burden away. When Jesus was talking in Matthew 11:28, this heavy laden, that expression heavy laden, this that word that phrase literally is not just hey it's a little, it's getting a little bit hard to carry. This is to the point where you're being crushed. Where you can't take another step. It's only the sin-sick heart that Christ can give rest to. When a heart is sickened by sin, only Christ can give rest to that heart. 
So what is the comfort? Do my problems all go away? Does my life become perfect? Everyone now gets along. Everybody's happy. Everybody's content. No, the comfort comes in the sense of the free and full forgiveness that you now have through the atoning blood of Christ. That's true comfort. Comfort that has the knowing that my sin has been freely and fully and forever forgiven through the merits of the atoning blood of Christ. That is real comfort. That's a comfort that is that peace of God which passes all understanding. You know, when we pray for people, we say, Lord, give them that peace that passes all understanding. You know what that peace which passes all understanding is how can such a wicked, depraved, hell-deserving sinner experience and realize the free and full and forever forgiveness of that sin? That's peace. That passes my understanding. I can't comprehend that. And again, remember, it's the forgiveness that's found in the merits of Christ, not the merits of ourselves. That divine comfort that God gives for the forgiveness of sin does pass all understanding, and it fills the heart of the one who has now been assured, as Paul said, that you have been accepted in the Beloved. You know what the Gospel does first? It wounds. It cuts. It's actually the Gospel, when you're first confronted with it and the sin of the realization of your sin becomes apparent to you, it hurts. It's almost like we've made the, the Gospel like handing out a raffle ticket. It actually wounds you because it, it's, that's everything that I am. I'm, <laughs> I am wicked. I am like that hymn said, I am evil. You see, God first wounds us the morning and then He heals us. That's the comforting. Secondly, this comfort's not only this initial divine comfort, but it's continual. Imagine this, that not only do we get that initial comfort of knowing that our sins, our burden has been lifted, we're no longer being crushed under the weight of our own sin. There is a continual comforting by the morning saint who daily is seeking God and repenting of their sin and they're asking for forgiveness. The one who sorrows over their sins is the one who's comforted by the assurance of 1 John 1, 9 that says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not a one-time deal. He's faithful to forgive and to forgive and to forgive over and over again. Because guess what? We're going to continually mourn for our sin. We're going to need continual comfort. There's also the promise in Hebrews 12.1 that talks about being under the mourning because we're under the chastening hand of God or the chastening rod of God. 
we're comforted by this promise. It says, afterward, after the chastening, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So when God's chastening, chastening us for our sin, there is mourning, there is grief, there is pain, but yet there's a comfort that this chastening will yield peaceable fruits of righteousness. The one who grieves over sin against God is also comforted by the future. Now, a lot of people have different views on what the future is going to be, and that's not for our time tonight. Although we do know this, that those who are in Christ know there's coming a day when Christ is returning. And He's coming back, and He's coming, and He will put down all that which is against Him and contrary to His to his word. Satan will ultimately be crushed forever. Christ will crush him beneath his feet. Every enemy will be his footstool. We find comfort in knowing the future. But the most personal, final comfort is when we personally leave this world. And we are 100% done with sin forever. You will no longer have sin to mourn over because it won't be present. It's just like someone says, I'm looking forward to the day when I don't have to mourn over the loss of a loved one. I think every single person in this room would say, I cannot wait until that day when you don't have to mourn over the loss of a loved one. But the real victory is going to be found when you have the comfort of knowing that when this, our time on this world is done, sin will also be done with us forever. I cannot imagine not having that battle any longer to fight. I, I, don't, I cannot even fathom what it's going to be to not have to be reminded day after day of my own depravity, my own wickedness, my own evil acts, There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more tears. Often we don't make that connection between what there's no more night, no more sorrow, no more tears. That's because there's no more sin. See, don't, don't look at it from such an earthly perspective. It, it, it's, it's, it's contextually more related to the fact that there's not going to be any more tears because I don't have to mourn over my sin anymore. When I don't have to mourn over my sin anymore... To the rich man in hell, we know that story. Abraham said to the one about the one who had begged at the rich man's gate, he specifically used the words, now he is comforted. That's Luke 16.25. That beggar sat outside that rich man's gates begging for food and the rich man wanted nothing to do with him. Sadly, according to the account in the Scripture, we see that that rich man was separated from God while Abraham gave the promise that the beggar is now comforted. It's hard for us to realize, but the very best of what God, and not in the superficial Christianity lingo we hear today, but the very best of what God is going to do is reserved for later. 
We haven't even seen the very best, even though we've seen and felt our own redemption. It only gets better. It only gets to the place where now that sin and that grief and that mourning for sin is now gone. It's hard for us to say this now, but the comfort of heaven will more than compensate for all the mourning we experienced on this earth. I'm not sure compensate's the right word. What's awaiting us is so much grander and so much greater than the mourning we experience here. We mourn now, but we're comforted later. I know all of us, we want comfort now. That's human. Every one of us wants comfort. That's, it's, it's, a, it's an innate human desire. And yet, there can be comfort even after we know that we've repented of our sin. We have, we have comfort of knowing that our sins have been paid for by our Savior. But just remember, everything we do now, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Take that promise to heart tonight and say, I'm so thankful that God, through His grace, knowing me, knowing the wickedness of my own heart, would still provide a way. And that way required His Son being crushed for our iniquities. Crushed. And as Isaiah 53 says, it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. One of those spiritual truths, that's hard to get your mind around. I get it, I get it in the theological, doctrinal, but I'm... <laughs> it, 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 examples of it, trying to illustrate it will fall short. I won't even attempt it. But just think, it, it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, let's stand together tonight, if you would. We're going to be on our way with a lot to think about, a lot to pray and to consider. And I hope we leave here tonight understanding what the Spirit has been teaching us through our time tonight. Let's pray together and we will be dismissed. Our gracious Heavenly Father, there are times when there just doesn't seem to be the words. There's no words to express, to express our thanksgiving. There's no words we can seem to say that would, would measure up to the price that was paid for our sin. Yet, Lord, we... We praise Your holy name. We, we lift You up. And we just simply thank You for the gift of Your only begotten Son. Lord, I cannot think of a passage of Scripture that would drive away our spiritual pride, our times of unbelief and doubt, more than this passage. Such seemingly simple words, yet such power, such conviction that's found in them. But Father, we know that only the Holy Spirit can give us the true sense of our depravity, 
can make us to feel the full weight of our sin. And Lord, to make such a promise of coming comfort seems almost impossible to believe. But Father, we know that You work how and when and where You will. And Lord, even here on a Wednesday evening, Lord, if it is Your will for a soul to be brought to repentance, to trust in Christ alone, Lord, we would rejoice in that taking place even this very night. But Lord, may we leave here tonight rejoicing. Rejoicing in the goodness of God that has been shown to us. Father, we thank you for this time. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake that I do pray. Amen. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you Sunday. Lord bless you. Thank you.